the scripture reading this morning. Today is about help and heal. And what you're going to hear Rachel read this morning is about where do we get a river of life. But more importantly, as she reads the story, as she reads the story of the woman caught in adultery, what I want to ask of you this morning is where do you see yourself in this story? Would you be one of those so readily holding rocks in order to stone and judge her? Would you be Jesus or do you see yourself as this woman? No matter the place, help and heal come into play. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. Rachel? On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, which believers in him were to receive. For as yet there was no Spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Then each of them went home, while Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. Holy wisdom, holy word. For service, what I did in the midst of the beginning of the sermon, was played the old 1970s song by Bill Withers, Lean On Me. Remember that song? It goes like this. I'm not going to sing it, but I'll give you the words. Sometimes in our lives, we all have pain. We all have sorrow. But if we are wise, we know that there's always tomorrow. Lean on me. When you're not strong, and I'll be your friend, I'll help you carry on, for it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to lean on. Please, swallow your pride. If I have things, you need to borrow. For no one can fill those of your needs that you won't let show. Just call on me sister and brother, when you need a hand. We all need somebody to lean on. I just might have a problem that you'll understand. We all need somebody to lean on. Lean on me. 
when you're not strong. And I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. For it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to lean on. You know, one of the things that I realized very early on in coming to Aldersgate was that a part of the DNA of this church is all around helping. Just a few examples. The fact that we had 27 people here, 15 of whom were from this church, gathered in Friendship Hall on a Saturday morning and early afternoon is a sign that there is a, a, just an incredible longing in this church to be there for each other. And now out of that is going to come this team who are going to go call on those who can't get out of their homes as often as they'd like or are in nursing care centers or even in the hospital when I can't be there. To have this cadre of folks is an incredible gift for a church, for a pastor, and for those who will receive the care and the love that these folks are going to bring. Helping. I think most of you in this service know that every Tuesday morning, Right down at Little John's, beginning at about 7 o'clock, a group of men gather. And it's more than for breakfast. So much more than gathering for breakfast. What I find in these men are, are just incredible hearts of servants. Those who desire to be able to go out and help those who need work in their homes. And whether that work is a patch in a roof or even uh, the reconstruction of a bathroom. Whatever it is, these guys are there. Or to fix a, a bizarrely kind of formatted sprinkler system on the church property. Or the fans above the sanctuary, for heaven's sake. Or anything that needs to be done. There's a family in the church who took on building a bridge to go across the creek. Noticing that in probably a week before that bridge was done, all it would take was the placement of a foot in the right place and a foot would go through the bridge and people would literally remember their baptism. (laughs) But I'm not done. Even last Sunday, uh, there was a couple who come to first service who were so ready with trailer and muscle to move one of our own from where they lived all the way down to Chehalis and back and come back. So willing to help. A couple other examples Two cars that I know of in the last year. Both were in serious shape. And one last week, incredibly serious shape, so that every time that brake pedal was compressed, what you heard was the grinding sound of metal on metal. She could not afford the $1,200 it took to replace and fix those brakes, plus a few other items in her car. But because of your generosity and the pastoral's discretionary fund, we were able to do that for her. And she has become such a blessing in so many ways in this church. Or how about this one? Thirteen riders now. Thirteen riders who are going to head out for the STP, the Seattle to Portland bike ride. And what I'm watching in the midst of this, even this morning, from some who are not going on this ride, an incredible amount of support, encouragement, even accountability that is developing out of this. And not just from the writers or those who are going to go and support, but from others in the church who just love the fact that some of us are crazy enough to take this on. Story after story 
after story. I don't have time. I don't have the days or the weeks or the months to describe the ways in which this church has taken on helping each other and others in the community in need. It is absolutely a part of our DNA at Aldersgate United Methodist Church, and the song is the perfect description of what we do for each other. It's part of what it means to be community. That fact of walking up alongside each other, to be be there for each other knowing that if any of us ever get into a situation where we may need a helping hand or healing shoulder, that we know that there are others that are walking alongside, offering support and encouragement, comfort and compassion. But I want to take it, I want to take it deeper this morning. I meant what I said about the woman caught in adultery. In pretty much every church where I have served, that story has played out where someone in the church was in the midst of an affair. And what has been interesting, even from the pastoral perspective, is watching the church's response to that. And how often, even in the church, what we have a tendency to do is be the first to pick up the stones. And yet, if we are to understand Jesus, and particularly where he stands in this story, I want you to picture this story in your minds of the crowd around this woman. And notice what it said, literally caught in the act of adultery. Literally caught in the act. According to Jewish law, the woman woman deserved to die. But I want you to see Jesus then in this woman. This woman now crouched down, absolutely filled with shame. And Jesus then crouching down beside her, writing in the dirt as the crowd is around them. And this incredibly beautiful wisdom that he says in the midst of this terrible situation, a situation where a relationship potentially has died as the result of this. And Jesus writes in the dirt, it is a very scholarly thing to do, kneeling before this group, scholarly, saying, I am taking this on and you are to listen to me. This is not about humbling himself. This is about elevating himself to the point of authority. And what does he say? Any of you, any of you who have never missed the mark, any of you who have never made a mistake, Feel free. Cast the first stone. Go ahead. And what I love about this story is how explicit it is about who dropped their stones first. It were the older generations who understood deeply the meaning of the wisdom behind that question or that statement. From the older to the younger, from the oldest to the youngest, all stones were dropped and suddenly the crowd dispersed and disappeared. And there was Jesus still now kneeling by the woman and saying to her, Daughter, where are your accusers? They're gone, sir. Where are those who would judge you? Then neither do I judge you. But, 
but let me be your community for you at this moment and say to you, don't do this again. Learn, go and sin no more. I think about the story of the woman at the well in Samaria who was out there at the well in the heat of the day and she's there at the heat of the day because none of the other women of the community would spend any time with her. They were all casting judgment upon this woman. Why? Well, we find out later in the story because she had not just had one husband. She had had five. Even today, how many people do you know that have had five spouses? There is something dramatically wrong with a situation where five spouses are a part of this equation. Even today, five spouses. And he says, now, as you go, go get me your husband. I don't have a husband. He says, that's right. You've had five. And the one that you're living with now, and by the way, this is not 2013 when this story is told. It is in the ancient times where living with another person was absolutely forbidden. The one you're with now is not your husband. If you go on in that story, what you see is him telling the story of God, of a God of creation, of a God who has created all things and is there in all things. But what was amazing is there really is no judgment other than the naming of the darkness in this woman's life. Phenomenal in the way that it's approached. And if you look at the story, suddenly she disappears and runs back to the village and said, come and meet the man who told me everything that I have ever done. Understanding that there is a tremendous release that happens when someone that we trust helps us see even the darkness in our own lives, particularly when it's done without judgment and says, you know what, maybe there's another way. Third and final story is the story of the one that we, I think, come to understand is Jesus' best friend. The one that had been chosen to be the rock upon which the church was going to be built. Peter, Petros, Simon before that. Over and over and over again, what we see in the life of Simon Peter is failure. You think he gets it, and then he does something that just tells you he doesn't. But then came the night that Jesus was arrested, and there he is in the courtyard, and not just denying that he knows the man, but denying it in such vehement ways by using a kind of language that no one that would follow Jesus would ever use. But he wants to create that separation. And what does Jesus do then? I love this story. Jesus immediately after he comes back, goes out and cooks breakfast for these who were followers who had then disappeared. And Peter comes diving into the shore and suddenly remembers. And what does Jesus do? In a gentle, confrontational way and says, Peter, I know you. I know you. Do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Three times he uses that language. Then do what I am asking you to do and take care of these sheep and lambs. 
When it comes to help, we are so ready in church. We're so ready to give of ourselves to help. When it comes to healing, I think we have a tendency to back off a whole lot more and not believe that we are capable or even deserving of being one who offers themselves in a healing capacity. And yet, I have to remind each one of us that we are in church today. And that part of what being in church means is that we are on this community, this journey as a community of faith together, no matter what. There's not a church anywhere on the planet that can't get better about that piece. Moving back, stepping back from the judgment stepping away from the judgment, dropping the rocks and stepping back and saying, you know what? We've all dealt with it. We've all failed. We've all done things that separate us from each other and from God. But God has never, ever separated God's self from us. Ever. Ever. And what better place than this? Where else on the planet can anyone find this kind of acceptance? This kind of help? And more importantly, this kind of healing? It is, it is by intention that this is what a church does. But how, Pastor, can we possibly do that? Two things. One is, as you look at the picture of the woman caught in adultery kneeling there, all too often that's where we place ourselves in this story. And all too little do we place ourselves on the other side of the equation and see ourselves as Jesus. As being the Christ figure of being that one who looks at anyone else through the eyes of love and compassion, of forgiveness and acceptance, of encouragement and offering hope, So I want to ask you this morning, where do you see yourself this morning in this equation? Are you on this side where all you can see is your failure? Then I ask you to stop and pray and confess that to someone else. Because that is not God's intention for you. God's intention is to be on this side of the equation. To be Christ's eyes and ears, Christ's hands, Christ's feet, Christ's voice with those who are in need of hope. And here's what happens when we offer that. Transformation happens. Legend has it that the woman caught in adultery became that same woman who was there to anoint Jesus' feet with her tears and dry his feet with her hair. That intimate expression of deepest gratitude and then moved and became one who potentially even wrote a gospel. The only woman to write a gospel of Jesus. Transformation. Transformation. The woman at the well, as she headed back into town, became the first evangelist in Samaria. And what does an evangelist do but tells the story of Jesus and their own personal experiences with that incredible power. When's the last time you became an evangelist. 
And finally, what happened with Peter? Peter the failure became Peter the rock. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit that came through him, and literally the church was built because of his openness to that power. Transformation. Friends, we keep adding lights to the sanctuary because what we are to be as a church is that light, whether it is the light of helping, those things I described initially, or even that light of healing. And I love the fact that this is light over what was the ash mess from Ash Wednesday because it's into this darkness that that light can penetrate if we but open ourselves to it and see ourselves on this side rather than this. Let me close with this thought. This is not easy stuff that I'm asking of you. And I tell you, it can't often happen in a large group like this or the large group of first service. It happens when we come together in smaller groups of love and care and intentionally go about this kind of work in small groups. Some of those small groups can be long-term. Some of those small groups can be covenant groups that are short-term, that work through a study together that helps them go deeper into their own healing. Sometimes it happens in the midst of the one-on-one friendships that I see so readily available in this church. But I want to tell you something. There are still those in the church that do not have that and have not experienced that here. And so we need to get better about it. We need to get better about it. In a minute, we're going to be receiving communion. In a minute, we're going to be receiving these elements, these beautiful elements that help us remember. I'll uncover them in a minute. What do we call this table? A table of grace. A table of grace that when we take these elements into ourselves, we remember that table around which sat these very, very human disciples. And Jesus embraced each one and confronted them for who they were, but also found hope in each one for who they might become. If they would but be healed. During communion, I want to again let you know that the altar rail is here and open and available to you. The prayer loom is there and we keep adding prayers into the fabric of that loom. And I love the image of the loom because it is the tapestry that we are. As we move forward into this and living into this vision of as, as a church, this process between and moving from helping to healing needs to be one in which we take on this work in deeper ways. And as we prepare for prayer this morning, as we prepare for prayer this morning, I want us to think about this. And are there folks in this church that God is bringing to mind for you that you might need to go spend some time with and be that Jesus figure for them. Help heal. Light, darkness, transformation, all things that we are as the body of Christ. Amen.